From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, this is Dr. Aviva. Hi, Dr. Aviva. My name is Amy. My question is, can you please talk about postmenopausal vaginal dryness and pain during sex? Never had it before. Had a pretty easy menopause, but those two things are really kicking my butt, and they definitely lower my libido because having that experience of, like, the dryness or the pain, you know, just makes it less appealing. So I would love to hear what you have to say about that. I just got your book, your hormone intelligence book, and I love it. So far, I'm finding so much for before menopause, but looking for more information about postmenopause. Thank you. Wait, is that another call coming in? Hi, Dr. Rom. I would love for you to comment on menopause and painful sex. I really do not have any interest in going on hormone replacement therapy. I'm about two years postmenopausal. And in general, I've had really bad experiences with hormones and birth control and all of that in the past. I'm really healthy. I have a plant-based diet. I exercise. I get great sleep. I don't have any hot flashes, no digestion issues. And the only thing that I would be willing to try is maybe the estrogen cream, but I I really can't find a straight answer on how much of that ends up in your bloodstream or if you have any other recommendations or suggestions to help with painful sex. That would be awesome. Um, moisturizers and the standard things that I come across do nothing for me, and it's really, really affecting my relationship and my life. I dread sex and don't enjoy it at all. <laughs> um, if you could give any advice or comments, that would be great. Thank you. I love your show, and I love what you do. Bye. Welcome to On Health. Amy and Anonymous, thank you for these questions. I want to honor how courageous it is to ask a question that so many women have about symptoms so many women struggle with, but all too often are embarrassed and just live with it in silence or just put up with it to the detriment of their own physical comfort, or just say, no pun intended, screw it and give up on sex. And just for the record, making this episode applicable to those of you who aren't in menopause yet, vaginal dryness and other causes of painful sex don't just occur in menopause. Nearly 20% of younger women as young as 18 years old experience vaginal dryness and many experience painful sex too. So whether you're in your menopausal years, you're a practitioner, or just have a vagina and need some help with dryness or painful sex, listen, and we're going to talk about all the things that can be contributing. Today, though, we're going to focus in detail 
on vaginal dryness as far as the questions that got called in to me. What you need to know about causes, what you can do to soothe and heal your vagina, make sex more comfortable again, and even restore some juiciness to your arid netherlands so they aren't never neverlands for you. In future episodes, I'll swing back to low libido from other causes than vaginal dryness and menopause. And we'll also have upcoming episodes on all things hormone replacement therapy so you can understand the pros and the cons and make your own best decisions. Today, I will talk about hormones that are topical and specific in their treatment of vaginal dryness so you have that option in your vag health bundle should you want to or feel you need to go in that direction. I always want you to be knowledgeable about all the options that you have to choose from because it's your choice. Before I dive into this topic, I want to shout out a few things from the rooftops for those of you who are in menopause, but for all of us, because I don't want anyone to be afraid of menopause. So menopause is a natural and powerful phase in our lives and a major whole woman transition with a lot to integrate emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Even though menopause brings with it symptoms for many women, it's neither a disease nor a state of hormone deficiency. There is a wide range of natural and medical options at your disposal for menopausal symptoms, so you do not have to suffer in silence. And, drum roll please, you can have the best sex of your life during and after menopause, and that's not just me telling you this, there are abundant studies that prove this fact. Okay, let's get to it. What causes vaginal dryness and painful sex, and especially in menopause? For most women, internationally, the age of natural menopause, which is non-medically or surgically induced, is 52 years old, with perimenopause beginning as many as eight years prior. Sometime in these years leading up to this shift, our hormone levels of the potent form of estrogen called estradiol begin to decline. And once we're in menopause, defined as a year and a day past the very last period you've had, we produce predominantly a milder form of estrogen called estrone, along with us continuing to produce testosterone and lower levels of progesterone. Not only does this shift in estrogen types and levels herald a major change in our phase of life, but for many women, this shift is accompanied by a variety of symptoms from sleep troubles and mood swings to hot flashes, low libido, and vaginal dryness, which may in turn be accompanied by pain during or right after sex. And for many women, even if their libido is not low, that's kind of a buzzkill if it hurts when you're doing it. The reason for these changes is in vaginal health and vaginal tissue is because estradiol, that more potent form of estrogen that declines in perimenopause and menopause, is responsible for maintaining vaginal thickness and elasticity keeping the vaginal surfaces moist, maintaining optimal genital blood flow, and maintaining a healthy vaginal microbiome. Hands down, the most common cause of painful sex in menopause is vaginal dryness, both of which are part of a constellation of symptoms called genitourinary syndrome of menopause or genitosyndrome of menopause. Sometimes you'll see it as G-U-S-M, or sometimes GSM, and this is all due to the natural decline in estradiol levels. It's nature's way of saying that we're past our fertile baby-making years and onto what I like to say to my patients, a womb of our own. Women with GUSM may experience any or all of the following symptoms. 
vulvovaginal dryness, decreased vaginal lubrication during sexual activity and generally pain during sex, vulvar or vaginal bleeding, that is bleeding after sex or labial fissures, so little tears and and irritations and nicks in the labia, the lips, the outer lips, decreased arousal, orgasm, or sexual desire, vulvovaginal burning, irritation, or itching, as well as urinary symptoms, which can include urinary urgency, painful urination, or recurrent urinary tract infections. I know, it just sounds like a total picnic. And a lot of women don't experience any of these. Some women experience them to a small degree, not in a troubling way. But for some women, any or all of these can be a real game changer when it comes to physical comfort and also comfort during sex. Now, to make sure we're all on the same page here, your vulva is all the outside lady parts that you can see if you were to hold up a mirror down there with your legs slightly spread apart. And your vagina is the tube that extends up inside where tampons go in and babies come out. If you don't know these terms, you're not alone, but please do get literate about your body because it's important for a whole host of reasons, from personal pleasure to describing symptoms to a care provider if you need to and getting proper medical care. You can learn all about your lady parts over on my website in a Let Me Introduce You to My Lady Parts blog and podcast. And for those of you who are new to my podcast, you might not know that I always include a corresponding article along with these podcasts so you can just keep doing whatever you're doing. If you're out on a run, you're in the car with your kids, probably not so much if you're listening to this episode, but whatever you're doing. And you don't have to worry about writing down all the notes. If I talk about supplements or herbs or doses or lists of things that you want to remember, just head over to my website. You'll find the article corresponding by the name of the podcast, and you can have everything there for you. So enjoy whatever you're doing. Keep relaxing, keep listening. And again, you can learn all about your lady parts in another episode and a blog over at my website. So back to vaginal dryness and all these things that we're talking about. The technical term for when things are dry down there and the tissue is more contracted and not as plump and juicy when there's vaginal changes due to menopause and other causes that I'm going to talk about is called vulvovaginal atrophy. Now, I don't think this is a very sexy term, and it's not really all-encompassing, and it sounds kind of permanent, which it doesn't have to be because there are effective therapeutic approaches you can take. So I don't love saying to my patient, oh, you have vulvovaginal atrophy. It doesn't sound very nice, but I want you to have accurate names. And so for the sake of accuracy, as I explain to my patients, I'm also using it with you. It's not just natural menopause that can cause vaginal atrophy and with it vaginal or vulvar dryness and painful sex. Other causes include surgical menopause, like it can happen if you have a bilateral ophorectomy, so both of your ovaries are removed, premature menopause, temporary decline in estrogen levels due to postpartum or lactation or even stress, hypothalamic amenorrhea, anti-estrogenic drugs, and other medications which may not cause atrophy, but can also cause vaginal dryness, including antihistamines, for example. While genitourinary syndrome of menopause is the most common cause of vaginal dryness and painful sex after menopause, other conditions to be aware of that can cause vaginal discomfort and pain with sex for menopausal and postmenopausal women, as well as women who are not yet in menopause, 
include vulvovaginitis. Now, this is most commonly caused by candida, bacterial vaginosis, or a sexually transmitted infection like trichomoniasis, gonorrhea, or chlamydia. Approximately 75% of women will develop symptomatic vulvovaginal candidiasis, so that's yeast infection, at least once in our lives. The North American Menopause Society says in menopause, an increase in candida infection has been associated with the use of hormone therapy and systemic diseases such as diabetes and immunodeficiency states. So you can still get normal yeast infections that cause irritation and vaginal dryness down there, but if you're getting them recurrently, it might be because you are on hormone therapy, particularly oral hormone therapy. We're going to talk about topical hormone therapies in a bit. Or you might just want to make sure that you don't have high blood sugar or anything else going on. Inflammatory conditions like lichen sclerosis, lichen planus, and lichen simplex chronicus, which are local vulvar conditions, can cause significant itching, irritation, pain, and painful sex. Dermatitis, which is just a skin irritation from possible irritants that can be found in vaginal lubricants moisturizers, soaps, detergents, panty liners, spermicides, and scented toilet paper can also cause irritation and dryness and itching down there. And then something called vulvodynia, which is vulvar pain that lasts for at least three months or occurs over three months without a clear identifiable cause. So there's no dermatitis, there's no inflammatory condition, there's no vulvovaginitis, but there's pain down there. This is a woefully understudied condition that may affect as many as 8.3% of women. Less than half of women who have definable symptoms of this actually seek treatment, and only 1.4% are diagnosed, at least according to studies. So if you're having symptoms, you can't correlate it to menopause, or even if you are in menopause and it's something seems to be going on, it's lasting for a few months, you've tried all the other things, don't discount that it could be one of these conditions. If you're not reasonably certain that your symptoms of vaginal dryness or pain with sex are due to menopausal changes, if symptoms have a sudden onset, if they're severe, or they're accompanied by vaginal odor, pain outside of having or just recently having had sex, or if there's vaginal bleeding, more than just a little bit of spotting on a tissue that you might see after sex, be sure to have a provider do a thorough exam and history to rule out other possible causes as these conditions also have effective therapies that can relieve your discomfort. If you think you're in this alone, guess again. It's estimated that at least 50% of postmenopausal women have some amount of vaginal atrophy as a result of decreased estrogen levels. One U.S. study found that 50% of sexually active women aged 40 to 65 reported at least one symptom like vaginal dryness or pain with sex. And in another study, Nearly half of menopausal women experienced vaginal discomfort, most commonly vaginal dryness, and pain during intercourse, 85% and 52% respectively. Not only are vaginal dryness and painful sex common, but they very commonly affect women's sense of well-being. In that same study that I just mentioned, 80% of participants said that vaginal discomfort negatively impacted their lives, particularly with regards to sexual intimacy, 75%, ability to have a loving relationship, 
33%, and overall quality of life, 25%. Women further reported that it made them feel old and affected their self-esteem, 26%. And that's part of why I shared that data early on in this podcast, about 20% of women even younger, including in their like late teens, 20s, are experiencing this because it's not just something that happens because we're old. And being old doesn't mean you have to have a dry cooch. It just is a function of this estrogen going down. And the more decline you've had in your estrogen or the lower your estrogen may have been from the start, the more you may experience these symptoms. Now, this is something I really want to tell you that's super important and not to be scary, but I really want you to know this. Healthy vaginal tissue acts as a barrier to infection. Irritated, sore, cracked, dry, vulvar vaginal tissue makes us more susceptible to sexually transmitted infections, including HIV. Now, you may be thinking, what? I'm 60 years old. I don't have to worry about this. Look, ladies, first of all, just because you can't get pregnant anymore doesn't mean you can't pick up an infection from someone. And you may be single or entering into a new sexual partnership or having many sexual encounters. And you may be thinking, I don't really need this. Stop right there. Who needs condoms? You do too. It doesn't end just because you can't get pregnant anymore. So happy, healthy vulvar and vaginal tissue or not, remember, put a sock on it if you're having sex with a penis, basically someone who has one. All right, there's help at your fingertips. And yes, that is kind of a joke because we do apply some of these remedies that I'm going to talk about with our fingertips. There's a lot more to preventing and treating dry, irritated vaginal tissue, reversing vaginal dryness, and making sex more comfortable than hormones, though those can be used too. There's a panoply of wonderful, 100% safe practical options that you can try. There are some herbs and supplements and one tip that may surprise you. That said, an estimated 6,000 U.S. women reach menopause every single day. That's over 2 million a year. And according to one frequently cited survey, and all the links to these surveys and all the bibliography, the references are over at my website in the article accompanying this podcast, an average of 27 million women between the ages of 45 and 64, or 20% of the American workforce, experience menopausal symptoms each year. Additionally, about 5% of women experience early menopause between the ages of 40 and 45. As such, even though there are some wonderful products on the market, we are a veritable gold mine. I mean, this is tens of millions of women, y'all. We're a gold mine for companies seeking to profit from our discomfort. And I'm not just talking about pharma here, although yes, definitely that too. If you just do a search for menopausal products, you're going to come up with an insane number of startups, companies that are willing to sell you all kinds of things. Some of them are great. A lot of them, even some of the great ones, are making a lot of false claims, particularly when it comes to topicals, supplements, and herbs. So I'm going to break a lot of those down for you today. So some of these may be offering helpful solutions, but many of the companies that are, in my opinion, overpopulating the marketplace are offering a lot of false hope and exaggerated claims in the form of bottles of pills and tubes of lubes. So let's start with what are known to be effective, easy, and practical tips that you can use for vaginal dryness and painful sex. First of all, your vulva and your vagina are self-cleaning. So to avoid further irritation, 
to prevent irritation if you are perimenopausal, so you know this stuff ahead of time, and also to prevent damaging your precious vulvovaginal microbiome ecology. Clean your vulva with water only. If you do want to use a soap ever, you can use mild soaps while you're bathing or showering, but don't apply them to your vulva. Definitely do not open up your labia and get in there with any soaps or any cleansers or anything that's scented or anything like that. Just water is really, truly, truly, truly the recommendation. You can pat your vulva dry after bathing. Just be really gentle and pat dry. And then if you want to, you can apply a preservative-free emollient like a vegetable oil like coconut oil or a moisturizer lube like I'm going to talk about topically to retain moisture and improve barrier function. So you take your shower, you take your bath, you get out, you do a little pat, 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 and then you apply something emollient and moisturizing to the surface over your vulva on the inside of your labia, not up inside your vaginal canal. Although you can do that with some of the lubes and moisturizers that I'm going to talk with you about in a little while. After you pee, instead of drying yourself with toilet tissue, you could rinse the vulva with cool water and pat dry instead. You can simply keep a peri-rinse bottle in your bathroom. They're available online or at any pharmacy. Just cool water, rinse yourself. It's almost like a little bidet in a bottle and then pat dry gently. Wear 100% cotton underwear during the day. No thongs, nothing that's going to get up in there. That's going to irritate. Nothing with nylon in it. Make sure the crotch at least is 100% cotton. And no underwear at night. Go commando at night. Let yourself air out down there. Avoid all vulvar irritants, perfumes, dyes, shampoos, detergents. Even be really careful with organic bath salts because some of those scents may or may not be 100% natural. And even if they are, they may be irritating. And never, ever, ever douche. If you're in perimenopause and you're still menstruating, consider switching to 100% cotton menstrual pads if regular pads are irritating. I like the 100% cotton anyway. You can listen to my recent podcast on Thinks Again, the problem with PFAs and our menstrual products. And the reason to switch to pads may be that tampons can be adding to your irritation. Think about them. They're cotton tampons that are meant to absorb blood which means they're also absorbing moisture from your vaginal wall. So pads over tampons if you have vaginal dryness. Additionally, use adequate lubrication when you're having sex, intercourse, or vaginal penetration. Even if you're using a vibrator, make sure to use adequate lubrication. You can apply cool gel packs to the vulvar area after sex for comfort if you feel irritated or uncomfortable. And I'm going to talk more about this in just a minute. And check with your provider about medications that you might be taking that can cause or contribute to vaginal dryness, like those antihistamines that I mentioned earlier. And whenever possible, avoid unnecessary antibiotic use to prevent damage to your vaginal flora ecology. Because that healthy vaginal flora, which I also talk about in other episodes and in articles on my website where I talk about vaginal ecology, is really central to maintaining that healthy vaginal lining, preventing infection, and keeping things healthy down there. 
A couple of additional things that you can do that are not only great for the health of your vaginal tissue and your vulvar tissue, but for your brain, for your heart, and for your skin, preventing more wrinkles than are common with aging. I like a little wrinkles around my eyes. It shows that I smile a lot and shows that I have emotion as a human being. But chronically being dehydrated, not getting enough fats in our diet, and also inflammation, increase wrinkling. But when we're staying hydrated, all of our tissue stays hydrated. It's really important for brain function. When your brain is dehydrated, it creates brain fog. And when your vag is dehydrated, you get dryness down there. So make sure that you're getting plenty of good quality fats in your diet every day. That includes extra virgin olive oil, avocado, and also nuts and seeds. All of those are great for blood sugar balance, which is important for energy, metabolism, all the things, preventing inflammation. And also stay hydrated. Most of us as women don't hydrate enough. So make sure you're getting eight, eight ounce glasses of water a day. And if you need more than that, you're you know heavy exerciser, make sure that you drink to thirst. So these are simple, low hanging fruit things you can do to keep your vag nourished. All right. What about lubes, moisturizers, and even CBD? There are effective over-the-counter options you can try before using any hormone or medication therapy, especially for mild to moderate symptoms. There's also no shortage, as I mentioned, of folks who are going to try to sell you the latest and greatest product with sensational claims for improved vaginal health and, well, improved vaginal sensation. Many of these products, even those marked as natural or organic, may contain additives like perfumes, flavors, spermicides, yes, I did say flavors, just use your imagination, dyes, warming agents, those are used in vaginal topicals to increase sensation, and botanical extracts, which can be irritating to sensitive vaginal tissue. So be careful of claims, listen to the things I'm going to tell you about what really is known to work and what may not be so effective. And it may take some trial and error to find the product or products that work for you. Topical products can be divided into lubricants, moisturizers, and natural oils. And some of these cross over into those several categories. They do not contain hormones unless the product says that they are a hormonal product. So hormonal creams contain hormones and maybe a little bit moisturizing, but just over-the-counter lubricants, moisturizers, and natural oils, unless they say they have hormones added, don't. They don't have an effect on the vagina's thickness or its elasticity, which is what hormones do. They increase the thickness and the elasticity but they can provide moisture and provide lubrication, which can ease comfort and add some moisture back to the tissue. Vaginal moisturizers can be used every two to three days as needed. Lubricants can be used each time you have intercourse or other penetrative sex. Before we explore the topical non-hormonal options you can try, please note that oil-based products should not be used when you're relying on latex condoms for birth control if you're still menstruating or aren't sure if you're menopausal yet, or STI prevention, as they can cause breakage in the condoms, which might not be visibly obvious, breakage enough to let sperm through or to let organisms through that cause infection. Lubricants can be water, 
silicone or oil-based. And those are used to help in reducing friction during sex. They're designed to be applied before sex and typically don't have effects that last very long. I could make a joke there too, but use your imagination again. I'm just in a mood today, aren't I? Moisturizers are bioadhesive. That means that they're designed to stay on the vaginal tissue. So they're longer acting than lubricants and actually add moisture back. They're applied on a regular basis, typically every one to three days to help retain moisture. An increasingly popular ingredient in both lube and vaginal moisturizers is hyaluronic acid, a component of our own skin with impressive water-attracting properties that have made it a star hydrating active ingredient in a variety of skincare products. It's also one of the few ingredients that actually has some research behind it, and I recommend it to women in my practice on the regular who are struggling with these symptoms. One study found that hyaluronic acid vaginal moisturizer was as effective as one with a polycarbophil base, so as a more synthetic polycarbon that adheres to the vaginal tissue. I want you to be aware that a lot of lubes are not vagina friendly, and I have an entire blog about that. It's called When Wetter Isn't Better. So I really want you to know that there can be a lot of these ingredients that are not vagina friendly. They can alter your pH, aggravating vaginal infections or leaving you more open to them, causing more irritation. Some of them actually draw moisture out of the vaginal walls, having a counterproductive effect. So look at that article as well if you're trying to pick a lube or moisturizer and you're still not sure what direction to go. But hyaluronic acid is a great direction to at least try. Another recent study, and this is really interesting, this was a systematic review, concluded that hyaluronic acid has efficacy similar to vaginal estrogen in treating vaginal atrophy. So if you're just hells to the no on using vaginal estrogen, definitely try this first. And if you're seeing a doctor, a midwife, a nurse practitioner, they should know about this too and how to guide you in using it. But it's pretty straightforward. You can find products on the internet. Again, look for ones with hyaluronic acid, but that don't have all the other added things, the scents, the flavors, et cetera, et cetera. Randomized studies comparing hyaluronic acid to vaginal estrogen head-to-head have found similar improvements in symptoms, though some suggest that hyaluronic acid may not be as effective as estrogen in normalizing the vaginal microflora. So again, in my opinion, a great thing to try if you're having vaginal dryness for any reason, not just in perimenopause or menopause. And if you are thinking or somebody's recommending estrogen, but you don't want to go there, this is a great thing to try first. So we've talked about lubes. We've talked about moisturizers. Now let's talk about natural oils. Coconut oil is probably the most common one, and it can be used both as a lubricant and a moisturizer. While there's been very little research on using coconut oil for vaginal dryness specifically, studies have shown that it is effective as a moisturizer in other conditions that cause dry skin, like atopic dermatitis. And many of my patients find it extremely helpful. And this is interesting because with atopic dermatitis or eczema, that's another term for it, We use a very similar approach like with little ones who have eczema when they're children or even adults. I say, take your bath or shower, then gently pat dry. Don't dry vigorously because you want to retain some of that moisture. And then what you do is apply the moisturizer over that and it holds some of the moisture in. So as I mentioned earlier, when you do that shower, bath or peri-rinse and pat dry, 
that's when you can use something like coconut oil on your vulva at the entrance of your vagina to add some moisture back. Keep in mind that natural oils will stain. So you might want to put on a light pad if you don't want to stain your underwear or don't want the oil to seep through onto your clothes. Not so fun. What about CBD and THC oils and suppositories? There are numerous products on the market and studies do show that oral use of CBD and THC products may be helpful for a number of painful gynecologic conditions, including endometriosis and period pain, which I talk about in yet another podcast episode. A recent survey found that over 60% of women with chronic pelvic pain from endometriosis, vulvodynia, interstitial cystitis, or urinary chronic pelvic pain and or irritable bowel syndrome have used CBD orally. A lot of women are turning to it. But I've yet to find studies on CBD or THC oils for the relief of vaginal dryness or painful sex due to vaginal dryness, either used orally or topically. Now, topically, it is possible that some of the products that women are getting benefit from that do include THC or CBD are oil-based, so they may be providing relief due to lubricant and moisturizing effects. Or there may be some anti-inflammatory, vasodilatory, or pain-relieving effects, but these haven't been studied for these menopausal symptoms. That said, products that are scent and irritating ingredient-free may be reasonable to use as oil-based topicals. Now, the North American Menopause Society includes among their recommended treatment options the topical application of lidocaine. You can get a lidocaine cream from your doctor or midwife, etc., to the vulva as a numbing agent before penetration as an option for women for whom sex is painful. I've never used this, and while I'm not opposed to it, I do have to say that my team and I found this approach a little unnerving. It's an option, it's your body, and you get to make the rules. Zero judgment from me. And it may be a stopgap option if you don't want to use hormone therapy and aren't getting enough relief from other recommendations that I've shared with you. Or if you have vulvodynia, or if you have lichen sclerosis or one of the other related conditions that you do need some topical lidocaine to feel a little bit like you can get past that discomfort from those conditions. But I would be remiss to not say that I feel conflicted about any suggestion that suggests women numb sensation in order to have sex. And I also feel that if your body is saying, ouch, it's better to heal first before using something that allows you to numb out so that you're bypassing your body's own warning sensation of, hey, something's going on down here. Now, I told you early on that there would be a surprising tip. Here it is, as counterintuitive as it might seem if sex is uncomfortable, sex can help with vaginal dryness. And if your painful sex is due to vaginal dryness, it can then help in turn with that. Regular sexual stimulation alone or with a partner, and that does not have to include any penetration, promotes blood flow and the natural secretions that keep the vagina healthy. If not painful to you, penetration with a partner or a vibrator or another sex toy can help maintain vaginal width, length, and tone. But if penetration is painful, then please find non-penetrative methods for pleasure while doing the healing on your tender vulvar or vaginal tissue. 
Nobody should have to have sex that hurts. If you're with a partner, talk with him, her, or them about your needs, what works, and what's off limits for you, at least for now, and what they can do to support you. Go slowly. Avoid deep penetration. Make love play before or instead of penetration a more important part of your experience together. Find non-penetrative ways to create pleasure and satisfaction. And also, if you need to have a like a moment <laughs> to have hands off, body parts off, and keep those parts healing, be in a relationship where you can actually express that and have that respected without you being made to feel guilty. Your partner can find other ways to pleasure themselves as well, or they can patiently wait for you. One more thing before we jump into herbs and supplements and hormones, and etc., is pelvic floor physical therapy, which can also be helpful. Now, this involves typically gently and at your own pace using what are called vaginal dilators, starting with a small one that fits inside vaginally comfortably and gradually increasing the size over time. They're not left in all the time. They're just used periodically. If this sounds weird, cringy, or intimidating, note that you learn to do this for yourself. And I only recommend female providers for female clients. So find someone that you trust. There are many great pelvic floor physical therapists, and it's a therapy that I refer women to in my practice all the time. I think it's phenomenal. There are some great pelvic floor physical therapists with robust social media platforms that you can even just learn some tips from and find a one in your community that your healthcare provider can refer you to who can help you understand how it may benefit you to both get more comfortable with sex again, but also just to heal some of the discomforts that may come with menopause. I wish as an herbalist and an integrative MD that I could say there's a wealth of data on herbs and supplements for vulvovaginal dryness, but this data is truly fairly scant. That said, there are traditionally used herbs and herbal lubricants that my patients have benefited from over my 30 years in practice of recommending herbs for women's health. For example, I've shared my recipe for a topical oil that can be applied with your fingers or made at home into the form of a suppository. It includes coconut oil and cocoa butter as a base, and those are simply melted together, with calendula oil and optionally other herbs for healing and moisturizing tender tissue. I also frequently turn to Vitex, which is also called chaste berry or chaste tree, which is a phytoestrogenic herb that has also been shown to increase progesterone and possibly estrogen levels when taken orally, internally, so as tincture or as capsules or tablets for my menopausal patients, because it has been shown to be effective for hot flashes and other vasomotor symptoms of menopause, including night sweats. A recent review of the literature suggests that at four milligrams a day over 16 weeks, which is the minimum effective and safe dose, Vitex may also improve vaginal tone increase vaginal lubrication, make intercourse more comfortable, and may also improve libido. So it's something that you can consider trying and you can learn more about over on my website and in my book, Hormone Intelligence. Another herb that you may hear about is called Poraria morifica. And I want to share the pros and cons. Traditionally, this is used as a vitality enhancer and rejuvenating agent, particularly for, and I'm doing air quotes here, older women. 
One study found that after 12 weeks of oral intake of this herb in capsules in varying doses, healthy postmenopausal women aged 45 to 60 experienced alleviation of vaginal dryness symptoms and pain with sex and had improvement in signs of vaginal atrophy with restoration of that atrophic vaginal tissue. That's the pro. But the con is that while based on limited early evidence, this herb does appear promising and effective for menopausal symptoms, there's currently no evidence to show that it's safer than standard estrogen replacement therapy. And because it's far more difficult to standardize the estrogen amount in it may actually even be less safe. It's a great example of how natural isn't always safer than the conventional option. So keep that in mind if someone's recommending it to you and going, oh, this is safe. It's a natural. It's an herbal. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't try it either. But I would discuss it more thoroughly with your care provider and only use it if you're fully aware of the risks until there's more research. Anyone at risk for or with a history of estrogen or progesterone receptor cancers should use caution and speak with their care provider before using any phytoestrogenic or progesterone-increasing botanicals. Also, while they're typically not contraindicated for use, if you're using topical hormone therapies, so let's say you're using a vaginal cream or a ring, it may be okay to use these orally internally, but I definitely do not recommend combining them with oral hormone therapies. And again, talk with your provider before combining something that could increase your estrogen or progesterone if you're taking it orally while you're also using estrogen and or progesterone hormone therapy. When it comes to supplements, the data is also similarly limited. Oral vitamin D and vaginal vitamin E have been proposed, but efficacy data are entirely limited and study findings are completely discordant. They just don't agree with each other. One area that I do think is really promising, even though the data is still limited, is the use of oral and also vaginal probiotics to alter the vaginal microbiome and help in the treatment of symptoms of genitourinary syndrome of menopause. There are no comprehensive trials, and those are needed to have some evidence. But I will tell you that in my practice, when I have a patient who is experiencing frequent vaginal infections, everything else is okay, and we're thinking it's a microbiome issue in the vaginal tissue, in the vaginal canal, or vulva, I will recommend using either an oral probiotic or actually inserting an oral probiotic capsule vaginally. You're just going to push it up in there the way you might if you were putting in a tampon without an applicator and you kind of push it up. You can't push it really too far back. It'll stop. If you have vaginal dryness and it's uncomfortable to insert, you can put a little bit of lube in first or put a tiny bit of lube on your finger and on the capsule and then insert it. I do think that using them vaginally has a little bit more data, uh, particularly when it comes to vaginal infections, using it orally for recurrent urinary infections. But you can either or both for just promoting the health of your gut and general vaginal microflora. Yes, I said the data is limited and it still is. I do think we're going to find more data in the coming years that really does demonstrate the efficacy of these. And I see it in my clinical practice. And the other thing is really unless you're immunocompromised, in which case you want to talk with your medical provider, there is no downside to using these. You just make sure your fingers are clean, all the things that you would do, basic hygiene when you're inserting it, and then it'll just dissolve up in there. So probiotics, possibly Vitex, 
We've got our moisturizers, our lubes, and our oils, and we've got all our common sense tips so far. Let's switch to talking about hormonal approaches. I know that most of us, myself included, would always prefer to avoid medications whenever possible, and that hormone therapy may understandably be high on your list to stay away from completely. But I do want to make sure you have all the options. And low-dose vaginal estrogen has consistently been found to be the most effective treatment for moderate to severe symptoms of vaginal atrophy that are not responsive to non-hormonal therapy. So if you're trying all the things and give it, you know, a month or six weeks, maybe even 12 for some of the things that I said may take a little longer, and you're just not getting results, or you're out of the gate and you're just absolutely suffering and miserable, this may be a great option for you. I would still recommend if you can trying the hyaluronic acid first and always do all the common sense things. But if you need to, these are available for you. And unlike most of the other therapies I talked about, except for possibly the hyaluronic acid, question around the Peraria Morifica, but also question about its safety, hormonal therapies do restore vaginal blood flow, improve vaginal pH, and improve the thickness and elasticity of vulvovaginal tissues. In other words, it can give you and your vag a big sigh of relief, and they can be effective in just a few weeks after starting use, though it can take two to three months to begin to see maximum benefits. Low-dose estrogen often also helps with urinary symptoms associated with menopause too, even when you use it topically vaginally. And it can lead to the reduction in urinary tract infections and overactive bladder symptoms. While low-dose vaginal estrogen products are required to have a black box warning for safety, it has been thought by some researchers that these warnings may overstate potential risks, discouraging their use. So it may make your doctor or your nurse practitioner or your midwife afraid to recommend them, and it may make you afraid to use them. But it may be that these risks, especially when it comes to low-dose vaginal products, are hyped up. Doesn't mean they're entirely safe. It just means we can reduce our fear around them and consider them a very reasonable option to use. When it comes to low dose vaginal estrogen, there are a number of different preparations and formulations that you can try. There are rings that stay in the vagina for a few months, there are tablets that can be placed there and replaced every few days, and there are creams that are applied topically up to a few times a week. To answer Anonymous's question, while some estrogen is absorbed through the vagina into the bloodstream when you use these, one study found this to be only about 3% of the total amount in the preparation. And the level of systemic absorption is lower consistently in several studies than when you use oral or even transdermal estrogen. So you absorb most when you take it orally, next when you take it transdermally across your skin, like in a patch or a cream and least when you insert it vaginally in any of these forms. And blood levels in users of low-dose vaginal estrogen are the same or only slightly higher than in the average woman after menopause. So we're not seeing some big jacked-up hormone levels from this. In one small study, women who received 0.3 milligrams of conjugated estrogens daily orally and then vaginally were compared on their blood levels. While systemic levels did rise with the vaginal dose, 
the vaginal dose in these women resulted in a third lower serum estradiol and estrone levels than the same dose given orally. And concentrations, again, after vaginal therapy were within or slightly above the normal postmenopausal reference range. According to the North American Menopause Society, given minimal systemic absorption, women with a history of cardiovascular disease or estrogen-responsive cancers may still be candidates for low-dose vaginal estrogen therapy if non-hormonal options are ineffective. And this should always be discussed with your cardiologist or your oncologist before initiating treatment. While our anonymous caller said she'd be open only to estrogen cream, also according to the North American Menopause Society, interestingly, the tablet or ring even though the ring is left in place, may actually be the better option if a woman has concerns about systemic absorption. They report that in women for whom systemic hormone therapy is contraindicated, use of the estradiol vaginal tablet or low-dose estradiol vaginal ring is generally preferred to the use of estrogen creams because of their fixed dosing and well-documented lack of significant systemic absorptions. But if you're super worried, you might choose the ring. It's important to recognize, however, that there are no long-term randomized trials evaluating the safety of low-dose estrogen use. And don't even get me started on that, right? (laughs) Women are being prescribed these all the time. As I mentioned, millions of women in menopause, 6,000 women going into menopause every day in the United States. And what? There are no long-term studies on this. This is nuts because people might be put on them for years or a decade. That said, long-term observational data has not shown any increased risk of breast or endometrial cancer, coronary heart disease, stroke, or venous thromboembolism using these low-dose vaginal preparations. Another option is the intravaginal use of a hormone called DHEA. So you can consider that instead of the estrogens, probably some similar risks, but many women are more comfortable with the DHEA then the estrogen as an option. And there is an oral medication called ospemaphine, which is a CIRM. That's a weird sounding acronym, which stands for Selective Estrogen Receptor Modulator. And that's a drug that acts like estrogen on some tissues, but blocks the effect of estrogen on other tissues. So when you use a CIRM, the estrogen is going where you need it to go, like your vaginal tissue, but then it's being blocked in other tissues that may be more susceptible to developing cancer from the stimulation of estrogen. So lots and lots of options for you to choose from. And think of this as kind of a stair step. You don't have symptoms, you don't have to use any of these things. Or you can just use lube for pleasure and comfort. Very mild symptoms, try the common sense things. And then maybe try some of the lube and moisturizers. Symptoms more significant, you can consider using hyaluronic acid, or you can do that even for mild to moderate symptoms. And you might consider the Vitex. And then if you're not getting results, that's when you can consider, well, how severe is this? How much discomfort am I in? How much is this affecting my quality of life, my relationship, all the things that make you feel like you're getting the most pleasure and enjoyment and just physical comfort day to day, right? Like getting recurrent urinary tract infections means that you might be taking antibiotics over and over. So then, you know, what is the better choice using something that is effective, generally safe, even if you use it for a few years. Because keep in mind, a lot of women have these symptoms for a few years after menopause, and then they regulate out as well. The symptoms start to get milder. 
not for everyone. Some people need these treatments long-term, but some people try them for six months, a year, two years, and then they're able to not use the low-dose vaginal estrogen anymore. So there's room to kind of mess around with these things a little bit, of course, carefully and with guidance if you're going into the hormone therapy range. But what I really want to emphasize is please don't let yourself suffer. In my practice, whenever possible, I start with the common sense and the safe natural approaches for a few months at least before even progressing to recommending hormone therapy. So I always tell my patients all the options. But if a woman is really struggling and she's tried everything and she's still uncomfortable or suffering, I do think having a happy, healthy vagina for so many reasons outweighs the risks of short-term or intermittent use of hormones for women at low risk when using them. I think of everything I'm sharing with you in this episode and all my episodes as the new medicine for women. We get to pick what approach is best for our health and our lifestyles using the knowledge and information we have about what's safe and then escalating to medical therapies when needed, but not creating dichotomies that prevent us from feeling comfortable making choices and using what helps us feel our best. Too often, I see women in my practice all the time, women who write to me online, who simply go untreated and live with the discomforts of vaginal dryness. And if vaginal dryness is affecting their sex life, just decide to forego or tolerate sex. In a survey mentioned earlier, 37% of women with these symptoms did not even consult any healthcare professional. And 40% waited for one year or more before doing so. And although 78% used some form of treatment, this consisted mainly of lubricant gels and creams. And only 34% of women had used any form of hormone therapy. Why? Some women may not be aware that their symptoms are a treatable problem and instead see them as an inevitable part of aging. Many feel uncomfortable discussing sexual issues with their provider, particularly but not only when their provider is male. 70% of medical doctors report having received no training in supporting women in menopause with their common symptoms. And most medical practitioners don't effectively elicit information from their patients if they ask at all about vaginal and sexual symptoms because they too are often uncomfortable and haven't been adequately taught to do so. Due to lack of knowledge, perceptions about the cost of specific therapies and fears, misconceptions, and lack of knowledge about how to even prescribe hormone therapies for women in menopause, Many practitioners may recommend less expensive, less effective, or just over-the-counter therapies, which may improve mild symptoms, which may not address significantly low estrogen causing symptoms in women who would benefit most from hormone therapy, low-dose topical vaginal estrogen therapies. But there are so many things you can do to try to restore comfort, ease, and pleasure in your body and in your life, and also prevent problems like infection from dry, irritated vaginal and urinary tissues. So please don't suffer by living with untreated vaginal dryness, pain with sex, or giving up on sex that you otherwise want because it hurts. This is a phase of our lives that is, in my opinion, as a women's health MD and menopause expert, meant to be filled with empowerment, self-love, and when desired, sexual pleasure. So I wish you a lot of vitamin P, pleasure that is. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life 
who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time. Yeah.